Good morning. Man, it is uh, so fun to be here. I love seeing uh, familiar faces and people who I would call longtime friends and lots of new faces. Um, I wore my green pants today because, you know, St. Patrick's Day. And I was really disappointed that Vince and Cindy are not totally decked out in matching green. Because my wife and I are matching today. And I told him, I'm, you know, bringing out my inner Vince because we're coordinated today. You guys know them, you know, coordination. Um, but man, uh, my wife and I are uh, truly super excited just to be hanging out with you guys. Uh, we were originally um, sent out from... Uh, Excuse me, I'm going to say PSCC because I'm still, you know, kind of back there, but I'm going to try really hard to say Puget Sound Foursquare. Thank you. Okay, Puget Sound Foursquare. I'm going to do it. I'm going to try. Um, But hey, so my first time being on stage here, so Lance uh, at that time had asked us to do a sunrise service, so it was like the 8.30 service or something. And I remember uh, him saying, hey, you're going to do announcements, you're going to wrap up worship, you know, do the prayer thing. And I was terrified. So I had never done anything like that before. And at that point, I think we were kind of just volunteering and here a lot, you know, kind of just turning lights on before people got here type stuff. And I uh, I got up there, and I'm pretty sure I didn't speak in any complete sentences. I, I think I forgot my name. I had waterfalls coming out of my armpits. And my microphone was like a maraca, you know. Um, it, was, it was terrible. Um, so I just want to say, first off, um, Lance took a big risk on Catherine and I, especially me. She's way uh, more smart than I am. So um, he knew what he was getting. But, man, I just feel so honored uh, that this church was willing to take a risk on us and be part of what, is, what we feel like is foundational in our discipleship and ministry. And this church was maybe the first time that I got to experience firsthand what a godly community could look like. I remember watching families in crisis and see them cling to Jesus and hold tightly to their loved ones. I remember watching families step into unknown and new territory of ministry and and truly believing that God had the resources that it would require for them to step out in faith. I remember walking in accountability uh, with people um, who were walking in recovery and walking through healing, and I experienced deep friendship here. I experienced accountability here personally, and for sure, our season here has changed my life. So, Thank you for having us back. And my wife and I are uh, in Yakima. So if you don't know, Yakima is the dry part of Washington. And uh, we love it there. We have lots of family. And uh, kind of our season of life right now, I have a seven-year-old little boy named Eben and a five-year-old little girl named Aggie. My wife is finishing nursing school. We are counting down the days. It's like 40 days. Yeah, you can clap for that, okay? Yeah, it's exciting. It's not quite, you know medical school, but it is like almost there, at least in my book. Um, So it's been a really fun season, and I am on staff at uh, Yakima Foursquare Church uh, with Dave Edler, and uh, Jacob Edler is our lead pastor there, and uh, Dave is, he's part of our Northwest District um, staff, and he oversees a Yakima network of churches. So at this campus, I get to be the operations pastor, which is sort of 
life groups and Sunday hospitality and facility, and I have a ton of fun because I'm a little ADD, so I get to, you know, keep, uh, keep my head on a swivel and do lots of different stuff. But uh, we are having a lot of fun uh, in Yakima and just continuing to be expect- expectant of what God is doing um, in Yakima, and we're grateful that we get to be part of it. When I was about 12 years old, I was at Bymart. Is there Bymarts in Tacoma? Is that a thing? No? Okay, so Bymart is like a little bit of Walmart, a little bit of Cabela's, and like your local feed store, right? You like put a little piece of those all together, and you have Bymart. It's this weird, eclectic store. It's in Yakima. My, my mom and my little sister, again, I was about 12. My little sister would have been five. We were shopping at Bymart. We were all done, and we're putting our stuff in the car, and I decided to put the grocery cart away. And as I turned around, to my surprise, my mom was driving away. And you have to know that my mom is seriously the sweetest lady ever. She doesn't play practical jokes. So I knew that I was being forgotten. <laughs> yeah, I was for sure being left at Bymart. And so I started running, sprinting really, after my mom um, and my little sister. And as I'm, you know, and I get a little bit closer to the car, and, and I see my little, you know, five-year-old little sister. <laughs> Bye. She's like, peace out, brother. Um, and eventually my mom realizes I'm not in the car, and uh, she stops. I get in, and as you can imagine, I was quite upset. Um, and eventually I was able to forgive my mom. We laugh about it now. Um, but I definitely, my heart rate still um, speeds up a little bit when I get close to Bymart. Um <laughs> But I definitely have enjoyed running, um, not just, you know, running from, from vehicles or towards vehicles, but uh, through, through the last several years, I've uh, had the opportunity to run a couple half marathons, never done a full marathon. Um, and then this thing happened, I turned 30, and my knees and my back started hurting every time I ran. So now if I, like, run two miles, I'm feeling really good about myself. Um, But my success in running, um, even now, is pretty much solely dependent on my why. What am I running to or what am I running from? And sometimes we're running, you know, to a goal, a plan, a challenge. Can we say chocolate cake? Um, sometimes we're running from something, maybe the 10 pounds we gained over Christmas, maybe the neighbor's dog that's biting your ankles. Um, but running in the physical sense, we're, we're motivated by what we're running to or running from. And you guys have been in a sermon series about Foursquare Doctrine, and today I get to hang out a little bit in what we call the Holy Scriptures and what Foursquare uh, would say about what we believe um, with the Holy Scriptures. So I'm going to spend a little bit of time in Jonah today and then a little bit of time in Mark. And Jonah's kind of a weird place to hang out when you're saying, hey, we're just going to talk about how amazing Scripture is. But um, God has been teaching me uh, a lot as I've been studying the book of Jonah. And so I want to invite you to kind of geek out with me about how cool the Word of God is this morning. Can we do that? Um, okay, so quick synopsis, the Jonah recap, and Jonah's a runner. Okay, so that was the, that was the connection with the running. I forgot that one. Um, God called Jonah to go somewhere, and Jonah decided to run the opposite direction. He got in a boat, and he headed, still going in that opposite direction. There was a storm. He was thrown overboard. He was swallowed by a fish, and he was in the belly of the fish for three days. And then the fish puked him out on the shore. And he went and did what God told him to do, and then he pouted about it. Right? 
Um, so we're going to be just looking at chapter one today rather than the whole story of Jonah. But my hope is that we wouldn't get stuck on, oh, I know that story. He gets swallowed by a fish. Yep, got it. I'm out. And mentally, we check out or our heart checks out because it's a familiar story. Our uh, Christian uh, culture of entertainment has done a really good job at minimizing this story, and it becomes a children's story. It's cute with the illustrated fish and, um, and Jonah, you know, like with roasting some marshmallows inside the belly of the whale for a couple days in a little camp out. That is not the story that we read in the Bible. Um, this is a painful story. It's a story of rebellion. It's a story of disagreement. It's a story of just crazy pain if we're looking at the context of it. So I'm excited to jump into that a little bit. And as we look at narratives in the Bible, um, and I'm not sure what you guys talk about here necessarily with uh, the SOAP method. Are we still doing the SOAP with, uh, as we read the Bible, the scripture, observation, application, prayer? Does Lance talk about that? Maybe? No? Okay. All right. I'm, you know. I'm five years ago still. But uh, so this idea that when we look at scripture, we make an observation and we say, hey, here's, here's what we know. And we, um, then we interpret, here's what this could mean for these people. Here's what this could mean for me. And then we make an application. So as we read stories in the Bible specifically, um, we get to ask ourselves a few of these questions. What does this say about God? What does this say about the God friends in the story or the people who are far from God? What does it say about those who oppose him? And where do I see myself in this story? Where do I see Jesus in the story? And where do I see Jesus in my story? So this is the process that I take if I'm reading narrative. Now, um, as we... As we read this today, we're going to pause and make some observations, and then we're going to um, make some application or some interpretations, and we're going to make some applications. So this is um, an invitation for you guys to be thinking, okay, as I, whether you're taking notes or just mental notes, as you read the Bible, this is a challenge, first off, to say, hey, you guys can read the Bible, and you can make accurate assessments of what God said and why he said it, and um, it's just... It's really cool, and I think sometimes we make it this big, difficult thing, um, but really, God has given us the Bible for a purpose and for a reason. So uh, join me as we, re- we start reading uh, in verse 1, chapter 1 of Jonah. And I'm reading from NLT, um, as Lance taught me. This is a fifth grade reading level, and that's about where I'm at. So uh, chapter 1, verse 1, the Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai, get up and go to the city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it, because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. All right, so I'm going to pause. The Foursquare denomination uh, gives some really great language to what we would say, hey, this is what we believe about the Holy Scriptures. And they, are, they have allowed and trained pastors to communicate, hey, this is what we believe, and invite our congregations, invite people who are seeking out or curious about Jesus to be part of that process. So we believe that the Bible is living, that it's the breathing word of God, that no, that no man thought it up or penned it, 
on his own, but that it was God-inspired. We believe men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God, and they did not write the scriptures as an act of human will. Okay, so just want to make sure we are on the same page there. So if we take some observations of verses 1, 2, and 3, Jonah's a prophet, okay, we can observe that. Prophets hear from God, and then they're supposed to go and say what God told them, right? So that's a kind of a big deal, Jonah heard from God. And then we also can observe that there's two nations at hand here. So Jonah is part of the Israelite nation, and Nineveh, which is the capital of Assyria, or the Assyrian Empire, what is known as modern-day Iraq. And as we look at history of these two nations, we learn some pretty important stuff as we unpack this story. So Israel, um, all through Scripture, is God's chosen people, the nation through whom he would reveal his affection. And in their disobedience of following other gods or living in ungodly ways, um, they have faced some struggles and some consequences at the hand of the Assyrian Empire. And this is God allowing and giving them some consequences, but he's choosing to use the Assyrian Empire. And it began to tear apart and to exile the Israelite nation. Now, the Assyrian Empire was in need of some serious revival themselves. They uh, were some pretty bad people. So their reputation um, of the Assyrian Empire is terrible. So they, I mean, they behead people, they skin people, they put people on poles out in front of their cities, and all just as a, a military offense, right? So they're, they're terrible. Um, Jonah agrees with God's wickedness here. Or, excuse me, wow, that was funny. Jonah agrees, <laughs> sorry about that. Jonah agrees with God's assessment of Nineveh's wickedness, okay? So it, it, where Jonah hears from God, is God says that they are wicked people, and we see here that their relationship, if we look back in history, um, that the Assyrians were exiling, and they were enslaving, and they were killing the Israelite people. So Jonah flees. Why does he flee? He disagrees with God's implied mercy. God knows the wickedness of Nineveh, and he desires to deal with them in grace rather than judgment. Aren't we glad that he's dealing us with grace rather than judgment? I am. But Jonah is literally faced with the reality of going and helping the Assyrian nation, and we can assume or imply that by helping them, he has reason to believe that they would continue to be a terror in these ancient cities. So by going and helping Assyria not be wicked, he's allowing them to continue to exist. And in their existence, they've been terrible. So why would he go and help them continue and exist? He is literally faced with choosing to help an enemy nation succeed and risking the existence of his own nation. This is an impossible ask, right? And I find that I'm kind of hard on people sometimes in Scripture when they don't follow God. Um, but this is hard. So Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. He really runs. Um, so Tarshish, from where he gets on the boat, Tarshish is, is about 25 
2,500 miles. Tarshish is a funny word. Try saying that a few times, right? Um, it's about 2,500 miles away from Joppa, where he was supposed to go, Nineveh, only 500 miles away. So he's really putting in the extra effort to disobey God, right? I like to think of the, um, the Romans 8, uh, 38, 39 verses here, where it says um, that there is nothing that can separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries for tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. Maybe he just didn't know it yet because Paul hadn't written it. I'm not sure. He thought sailing away would do the trick. Um, but we, we truly, though, we tend to be critical of those in the Bible who um, disobey God. And we think that maybe, I wouldn't do that. I would, I would obey God, right? But I love that the Bible is full of imperfect people. Heroes, sometimes they're called. Um, but in reality, they're people with little faith in big fears. God knew that as we read the word of God today, God's outside of time, right? So he knew that as we read the word of God today, that we wouldn't just need perfect people to look at their life. We would need some broken people who had little faith in big fears so that we could know that, hey, we could do it too. We can follow God. Verse 4 says, But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold, so the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this, he shouted. Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. At first, it seems really weird that he's sleeping, right? There's this crazy storm that's happening. But um, then I just remember every toddler that ever existed. And what happens, you know, those like crazy tantrums in the grocery store, the kind that before I was a parent, I would look at their, the tantrums and observe other parents and their tant- the kids' tantrums in the grocery store. And I would definitely think, like, my kids will never do that because clearly I'm a better parent. Um, and then I had my own children and realized I was wrong. Um, but what happens after kids have tantrums? They get tired. It's exhausting. Rebellion is exhausting. And it's isolating. He's alone in the bottom of the ship. Uh, the storm continues in verse 7. Then the crew cast lots. They drew straws to see which of them had offended the gods and caused the terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Why has this awful storm come down on us, they demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. Jonah had all the right answers. He knew who God was. This guy read his Bible every day, but somehow he was still missing God's heart. I love how the captain, uh, the sailor, probably the sailor-talking guy, um, the guy who served many gods, not the one true God, was the one who had to wake up the prophet of God. I feel like there has to be a parallel there where the modern church today, where we have fallen asleep to the things that break God's heart, and they're sailor-talking, not God-following people whose hearts are breaking for injustice, and they're trying to wake us up. Just a thought. Verse 10 says, the sailors were terrified 
when they heard what Jonah said, when they heard this, for he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did you do it? They groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to you, what should we do to, you to stop this storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and, I'll, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Instead, the sailors rowed even harder to get the ship to, the, to land, but the stormy sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. In the midst of the storm, the sailors did everything they could do in their own strength. They rode faster, they dug deeper, they worked harder. I can fix it. Anybody relate? Then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. Oh, Lord, this is in verse 14. They pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin and don't hold us responsible for his death. Oh, Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. Then the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. We see God bring a storm of discipline a storm of correction to wake him up. And even though his heart had not yet uh, transformed, even though he was not um, repentant yet or really wanting to walk in obedience, God allowed him to make an impact. He, God allowed his rebellion and his consequences to be the perfect backdrop to lead people who were far from Jesus closer to him. I can't tell you how many times I have felt like my own brokenness and my own problems would somehow hurt or weaken the gospel or weaken the ability to do ministry. That they would somehow minimize God's glory and God's power. But it's when we share about our brokenness, when we share about the healing and redemptive work that God has done or still needs to do, that people are able to see God's power and God's glory in real big ways. People need to know that God has room for them in the process. This is when the word of God comes alive. In our own lives or in someone else's story, it's when people are able to see that the word of God that was written thousands of years ago is alive today. It's when they see brokenness and when they see hurt and they see the powerful healing work that we read about in the word come alive in people's life. It is impossible to prove that the Bible is the word of God to those who intend to be skeptical, but to those who step out in faith on its promises, it proves itself over and over again. People who experience the power of God today find it less difficult to accept the miracles recorded in the Bible. The Bible itself challenges us to taste and see that the Lord is good. It dares us to take him at his word and see what happens. The sailors got a taste. And it wouldn't have been possible if it wasn't for Jonah's rebellion, for his mess up. When uh, we lived in Tacoma we uh, would often go back to Yakima to visit family because we have lots of family over there. And we had this great little car. It's a Nissan Maxima 1998. Just sold it last year. And uh, at one time when we were visiting Yakima, 
there was this crazy windstorm, and it's not super normal for Yakima to have these crazy windstorms, but uh, whatever, it was a windstorm. And my parents have like two dozen giant trees on their property. I mean, the big, you know, 100-year-old trees all over the place. My dad, my dad was saying, hey, you guys got to move your cars out of this area, move them over here, because I don't trust this tree. I think it's kind of rotten. Um, it's, I'm afraid a branch is going to fall. So I'm like, okay, I'm really smart. So I'm going to move my car to the other side of the garage because the, it'll be protected from the wind and I don't have to drive all the way around the property to the big open pasture area and park it out there. So um, as I, I'm parking my car in this new really good spot and I get out of the car and kind of, it just all happened, it just feels like within one second, but, you know, as you kind of get out of the car and the wind is loud and it's blowing and, and you, it almost feels like it's pushing you over, um, and I've never been in a tornado environment, but definitely felt like I was, you know, close to that idea, and I'm, I swing the door closed to the car and I'm kind of running towards the house, and all in that instance, I hear this big snap, crackle, pop, <sighs> you know, crash is happening. So I'm, you know, really sprinkling. It's an adrenaline spike. And I get in the house. I'm like, I don't know what happened, but something broke. And I, I didn't want to stay outside any longer to figure it out because I didn't want to be the next thing to get crunched. And uh, after the wind uh, calmed down, I went out and um, it landed on my car. Uh, a big, is a branch about this big around. And it, it just hit the back, like, corner, um, so it broke the back window and crunched the, uh, the trunk pretty good. I wasn't ever able to open the trunk again. Who knows what's in it? And, uh, <laughs> and, and uh, it is in the storm that we figure out that our plans aren't enough. It's in the storm that we're reminded that we are not in control. So in the Word, there's this cool thing that happens, uh, some foreshadowing from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And that happens in Jonah chapter 1 and Mark 4. So I invite you guys to turn to Mark 4. And this is where we just get to be Bible nerds for a second, okay? Because it's cool. Um, So Mark 4, verse 35, it says, As evening came, Jesus said to the disciples, Let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke woke him up, shouting, Teacher, don't you care that you're going to drown? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence, be still. And suddenly the wind stopped, and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even in the wind, even the wind and the waves obey him. Okay, so now we look at Jonah and we look at Mark together. And there's some really beautiful parallels here. And as Lance said, Um, maybe still says, we look at the Old Testament with New Testament eyes, right? So we look through a lens that changes how we see the Old Testament because we need to have the New Testament in mind. We need to have the character and the gospels of Jesus in mind every time we look at the Old Testament. But let's look at these parallels here, okay? So both are in a boat. There's a ferocious, you know, spontaneous storm that's happening, 
both Jesus and Jonah were sleeping, except Jesus gets a pillow because he's special. (laughs) Both were woken up by people in fear. After the storm, there is more fear and wonder before. In Jonah's account, he says to the storm, or he's not to the storm, he says the storm is his fault. He takes ownership, he takes responsibility for the storm, and the sailors throw him overboard. He basically says, if I die, you will live. And the account with Jesus, in that moment, he only calms the storm with his words. But soon after, again, if we look at our New Testament glasses, right, through our New Testament glasses, and we have a picture of the whole gospel, we know that soon after, he would face the greatest storm of history on the cross, where he would take the wrath of God for our sin. Jesus is the greater Jonah. He's thrown into the storm of our sin so that we might live in his righteousness. In the words of Tim Keller, Jesus was thrown into the only storm that can actually sink us, the storm of eternal, eternal justice, of what we owe for our wrongdoing. That storm wasn't calmed, not until it swept him away. As we look at the death and resurrection of Jesus and this picture of Jonah, we see that Jesus doesn't just calm the storm. He's consumed by it. He takes it on, and he wins. He's not only our comforter in our current storms that we face every day, every week, we all have them, but he is in the biggest storm and has defeated the biggest storm of all eternity. He took our sin, he took our fault, the one that wasn't his, willingly. So as we look at the Old Testament, and the New Testament together. We just see this cool thing happen where the Bible comes alive and we are willing to look beyond just a story about a fish. We're able to see, wow, God intended us to see and learn a lot more here. In the Old Testament, God focuses on the nation of Israel, a nation who kind of always struggles to be in right relationship with God, who's always working their way back towards God waiting for the promised Savior. The New Testament is all about the promised Savior, Jesus. It's all about the early church. And we get to trust this amazing consistency that happens throughout the Word of God. Though the Bible is written by many authors over thousands of years, there is remarkable consistency. In its prophetic themes, It's spiritual principles taught from Genesis to Revelation. It is truly one book. Such a phenomenon is unique among all human literature and can only be explained by the oversight of God. And I love our encouragement from Timothy. So from 2 Timothy chapter 3, where he explains and communicates to us what kind of in the simple terms, you know, the, kind, the fifth grade reading level kind. Um, what do we do with this big Bible? What do we do with this thing? How are we supposed to walk this out? Why did God give us the Bible? In verse 15, chapter 3, Timothy reminds us, um, 
It says, how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. He reminds us that God has significant intentions for believers. It's not just haphazard. He reminds us that God has given us these scriptures for wisdom, to receive salvation. That the word literally leads us to a trusting relationship with our Savior. He affirms that scripture is God-inspired, and it has many uses for, for his followers. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Timothy even says that the servant of God may be fully equipped for every good work. I want that. I want to be fully equipped. That'd be cool, right? It's here. The truth of God moves beneath our consciousness, our consciousness, and it sifts through our feelings and thoughts like a lamp shining in the dark. It lights our way so that we can see clearly. God did not make people so that there would be someone to read his word. He wrote the Bible like the Sabbath as a blessing for the sake of people that as a reminder that he's the only one whose words bring real life the kind of life that he so earnestly desires us to experience the bible is only meant to do good if reading his word is merely a discipline an exercise of religion then we miss all the advantages that god wants us to have through it So why does he give us the Bible? The purpose is to build people up. In his word, it says that we are encouraged to place ourselves in its safe keeping, under its care. And as we read the Bible, our spiritual lives are developed and matured. Why did God give us the Bible? Because it's the best way to get to know God. Because it acts as a mirror where we get to see God's glory, his identity, his picture, and it acts as a mirror of our own character, where sometimes we see some stuff compared to God's character that we need to deal with. God's word is filled with creative power, the same power from creation that brought Jesus from the grave. It's in the word of God. Just as worship is transforming so too does reading the Bible. There's a study that shows that if we read the Bible four times a week, it transforms our life. Weird, right? It's like read the Bible four times a week. Have a willing and open heart, and it transforms our life. In the Word, we see that there's this crazy storm that relates both to the the storm of eternity, the storm we face on daily life, We see Jesus in it, calming the storm of sin forever. We see Jesus in our daily storms. We can trust him in the greatest storm of all kind. We can trust him today. In God's word, we see that he will use all kinds of people. He can use a rebellious prophet. He can use pagan sailors. 
you can use us, right? All through the word, we see disobedient nations. Whether it's Israel trying to become back in right relationship with God, missing the point so many times. Or we see Nineveh, a crazy rebellious nation. We see God's character proven time and time again. He loves the runaways. He loves the rebellious. He's always working to bring them back to himself. As Jonah runs from God, we see a reflection of ourselves. It's not easy to say, hey, maybe I'm running from God today. That would be a difficult announcement, right? But we can run from God in multiple ways. We can run from God in relationship, maybe creating no space or time for God, no space or time for reading his word. We can run from God in a way of running from assignment, maybe running from things that God would have us do, or saying, nope, I don't want to do it, or running from people that God would put in our life. Maybe it has nothing to do with running, and it's just missing part of God's mission and part of God's heart where we're currently at. I want to be like Timothy, who willingly comes before God and invites the word of God to build up, to correct, rather than the hard-hearted, rebellious Jonah. When, when Evan was about a year and a half old, uh, we had company over, and I remember it because, uh, well, it was terrifying, um, because I'll tell you in a second, um, but also I cooked raw chicken, or I undercooked chicken, so I served raw chicken to some company that we had, and it was really embarrassing. Um, but, but we were eating dinner, and we look around, and Evan's nowhere to be found. We can't find him. And so he's this little toddler guy, right? And so we kind of start freaking out. And we start looking in the backyard and the front yard, and we're looking under the beds, and, Evan, where are you? And finally we go out to the street, and this is a, we lived on Oaks um, here in South Tacoma, this little cute little house. And somehow he got out of our front yard and made it onto the sidewalk. And by the time I got out there, he was a block and a half away. And I see his little bald head, you know, bobbing up and down. And I'm sprinting after him, screaming, Evan, stop! And finally I get to him, and I grab him, and I'm crying because I'm so happy that he's alive. And it's this terrifying, scary moment. But I can't help but read the word of God and believe that like a loving father, our God embraces us and extends grace and mercy beyond what we can imagine. Like a loving father, he continues to, to direct us through his word back on a path. A path that's outlined by his holy scripture. This beautiful, God-breathed story that's full of sin and faithfulness and hope promise, victory, redemption, and new life. Will you guys pray with me this morning? God, we just ask for your help. God, would you open our eyes and our ears to the ways that we might be running from you? God, Psalm 139 says, Search me, God, and know my heart. 
Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. God, would you reveal how rich and beautiful your word is to us? God, thank you that you are a loving father, that you extend grace and mercy beyond what we can imagine. We love you and we trust you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, church, can we thank Pastor Austin for sharing with us this morning? Oh, so good. You know, I love the encouragement to get into our word, into the word of God. And, and church, if you don't know, on our website, we follow a reading plan together, all of us together as a church. So if you go to our website and go to teaching and then read daily, get into the word. We have five days a week where we read together. You can do it now. You can do it today. But I'm just so thankful that you'll be able to share with us in church. Give him a hug out in the lobby afterward. If you don't know him, he's a hugger, so it's okay. It's not weird. So church, why don't you stand up with us, and let's be dismissed for the rest of our day.